0: 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, you can find this on page 1154 if you want to use a a church Bible. We've been looking at the gifts of the Spirit. And at the end of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul is saying, now, I now eagerly desire the greater gifts it says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So, chapter 13 then. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. John.
1: Do keep your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think it's 1,150. 4 is the page number if it's a church Bible. We're going to pray together as we come to God's Word. Father, this morning we've been reminded so well of of the gift of life, uh, the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gift of new life that is available to us through repentance and faith. Father, as we come now to these verses, we pray that you might speak your life-giving tru- truth into our hearts afresh. Give us soft hearts to hear what you have to say to us and not just hear it, but, but to be doers well of the word. That we would respond, would be changed, even even as we gather, even as we uh, listen and respond with repentance and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me give you a couple of hypothetical scenarios. Let me tell you about Dave. Dave is a very gifted kids' worker. But Dave is also a guy who's really impatient, and he's prone to outbursts. In fact, it's so bad that as the ministry team gathers, as the kids team gathers, there's always that sense of trepidation. Someone will leave the ministry team meeting crying because of Dave. And a few people have kind of wondered, how helpful is it having Dave in the team? But the reality is, if they really want to do the things they need to do. They need Dave. They can't really do it without Dave. Jerry. Let me tell you about Jerry. I I recognize there's a number of visitors here. If your name is Dave, Jerry, or Samantha, who's about to appear, then it is entirely coincidental. But Jerry is a great preacher. He's a great preacher. But he is in constant need of reassurance. And when Dave gets bad feedback, sorry, Jerry, I <laughs> can't even remember who these people are myself. <laughs> when, when Jerry gets bad feedback, well, he's devastated. And when he gets good feedback, well, he's on cloud nine. His life is a roller coaster. In fact, his wife's life is a roller coaster. She's got to live with the guy. But one thing Jerry is absolutely clear on. He could not imagine what his life would be like if he didn't get to preach regularly. Let me tell you about Samantha. Samantha is a wonderful guitarist, she is prayerful, she's perceptive, she's very servant hearted. But she's also bitter. She was hurt, actually, by someone on the music team. And there is still a kind of brooding resentment that catches her by surprise. Welcome to normal church life. Actually, welcome to the world of spiritual gift. Because as we jump back into 1 Corinthians, we're in 1 Corinthians 13 this morning, we've been thinking about, well, more broadly, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, because we thought about the fruit of the Spirit before Christmas, and we're now thinking about the gifts of the Spirit together. But we're, we're, we're diving into a context where the people that Paul is writing to in this place called Corinth, the people there, they treasure gifts over character. And actually, their kind of desire for gifts and their focus on gifts has made them proud. It's made them judgmental. It's, made them, it's divided them. And actually, they're in denial. They're in denial about the whole thing. For them, gifts are kind of badges of spiritual superiority, and Paul, in chapters 12 to 14, is tackling the problem head on. And what we're going to see this morning, in chapter 13, which is basically the center of his argument, is this, treasure love over gifts. Treasure love over gifts. Now, when he says at the end of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, yet I will show you the most excellent way. He's got to say that because they think they already know the most excellent way. They think they know, they think they've got it all sorted out. And he's saying, no, you haven't. I need to show you. I need to show you how to navigate this whole aspect of your life together as a church, because you do not get it, you are in denial about the whole thing. Do they think better gifts means better Christian? I wonder if that's a message you've ever heard. Maybe it's a message you've believed. If I only had this, it would make me a better Christian. Or they have that, so they must be a better Christian. Or I have this, therefore I'm a better Christian. We slip into it all the time, don't we? But Paul says, actually, that's that's entirely wrong-headed. It's entirely upside down. There is nothing we can do or we can receive beyond Christ that will make us better Christians. They have everything, absolutely everything in Jesus. That's how Paul begins the whole letter. We saw it a few weeks ago. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ. To be revealed. In him, you have been enriched in every way. So if They have Jesus. They have everything. And in Jesus, we've been seeing in chapter 12, they are free now, set free to use whatever gifts God may choose to give them in all of their diversity for the common good, for the body as a whole to love others that they might grow up together into the likeness of Jesus. It's love, not gifts, that really matters. And Paul basically gives us three reasons in chapter 13, three things that really mean we're to treasure love over gifts. And the first is this, he says, love is indispensable. It's indispensable. Look at verse 1 then of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, are you gifted? Are you a gifted person? Do you have speaking gifts that means others look at you? Well, without love, it's just hot air. It's noise. It's nout but rattle, as we would say. In Scarborough. He says it's gifts without love, hot air. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love. This is even worse, isn't it? I am nothing. My goodness me. See what he's saying? He says, where are you looking to be someone? Where are you looking for your identity? It is not gifts that make you who you are. It is love. It is love that's born actually from the love of Jesus to you. So let me ask you, what defines you this morning? What defines you? Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now we would look at someone who gave all their possessions to the poor and say they must be spiritual. They must be amazing Christians. And he says, listen, you can't bypass love. You can't compensate for a lack of love through your own effort in one way or another. And we kind of do that, I think, in our minds, in ourselves and with others. You know, he might not be a very loving person, but have you heard him pray? Oh, he's spiritual. Oh, he's a godly man. Paul says... If you have love without gifts you still have love. But if you have gifts without love you have nothing. The real power the real power is immediately drained from anything that we do if we do not have love. So if we imagine the Christian life for a moment, like a, like a house, the Christian life is a house, and and there's various different rooms, and we might have different looking houses depending on who we are, because we're diverse and we're gifted differently. We might have a room that is to do with our prayer life, a room that is to do with the way we speak to others, a room that's to do with our hospitality, a room that might be to do with speaking in tongues. There are various different rooms in our house that God has given us. They're gifts that God's given us, rooms for us to enjoy and to use for the good of others. Well, Paul is not saying love is another room in the house. He's not saying if you don't have love, well, all you need to do is build an extension. He's saying if you don't have love, you don't have a house. You need to move. Why? Because it all goes back to what it means to be spiritual. So let me just read from chapter 12 and verse 1. It's probably like on the previous page and you, if you've got a, a church Bible, but... Chapter 12, verse 1, he says this, now about the gifts of the Spirit. Literally, he says, now about what it means to be spiritual. That's what he's saying at this point. About what it means to be spiritual. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You see, it all goes back to what it means to be spiritual. Paul says, to be spiritual is to live with Jesus as Lord. And if you live with Jesus as Lord, you must have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then the fruit of that in your lives must be love. It must be. Which takes us all the way back to the series we were looking at before Christmas and the fruit of the Spirit and this bouquet of kind of virtues that, spill out all from what it means to display love. So are Dave and Jerry and Samantha spiritual? Well, we don't really have enough information, do we, to say, for sure. And anyway, they're fictional. But here's one thing we can say. Their gifts are dispensable, but their love is not. That's the first thing, love is indispensable. The second is this, love is all-encompassing. I think we're tempted to kind of not really define love. We kind of say, well, love is love, isn't it? That's just what it is. And all you need is love, whatever it is. Maybe we're tempted to say, well, it doesn't actually matter what I do. It matters kind of that I still love you. But Paul won't let us off the hook (laughs) so easily when it comes to love. He says love is active. Love is dynamic. Love results in behaving in a certain way towards others. Or it's not love. Look at verse 4. Love is patient. Or it's not love. He says. That's basically what he's saying. And and it's an action. He says love is waiting patiently. That's what he's saying. It waits patiently. Which means that basically the timing is as important as the action itself. Love shows kindness, he says in verse 4. It's kind. Kindness isn't weakness. Kindness is love. It's a kind of unselfish concern for the well being of others. Love does not envy and it does not boast. It doesn't brag, basically. And think about the context 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of boasting, there's a lot of bragging. His definition is there. You know, this isn't some kind of marriage sermon that's accidentally slipped into the middle of a conversation about spiritual gifts. It's tempting to think that, isn't it? Because we tend to pick chapter 13 out, and maybe if you're married here today, you read even these verses at your wedding. But that's not what's going on here. As wonderful as these verses are in terms of their definition of love, Paul is basically telling them off. Look at verse 5. Love does not dishonor other people. Okay? Corinthians. It doesn't disrespect other people. Love love is not self-seeking, Corinthians. It's not preoccupied with its own interests the whole time. Love is not easily angered. It doesn't overreact. It doesn't get too touchy. It doesn't fly off the handle. And love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not harbor resentment. It doesn't brood. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil. It doesn't take pleasure in the shortcomings or the failings of others. Love loves truth. It rejoices with the truth. It loves it when there's no manipulation. It loves it when there are no secrets. It loves it when there's no hidden agenda. There's no attempt to simply bury things or brush things under the carpet. It doesn't do what you're doing. Corinthians. That's what he's saying. And then verse 7. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always. In every situation, Regardless of anything else, regardless of who it is in front of us, always this is all encompassing. Because none of this is based on the person you are being asked to love. Well, who on earth is like this? It's a good question, isn't it? Who on earth is like this? Really? Well, Jesus is like this. And he's like this with us. In fact, he has been exactly like this towards us. Paul kind of summarizes the loving action of God with these words. He says, whilst we were still sinners... Christ died for us. There was nothing lovely in me, there was nothing lovable about me as a sinner in rebellion against God, shaking my fist at him. And yet in his patient, kind, gentle love he stepped into the world in the person of Jesus. And Jesus took on himself the punishment I deserved so that I could be friends with God and be adopted into his family, be given new life, a new beginning, and empowered by his spirit to walk with him. God's love is entirely free and it is setting its value. On us. In a sense, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your story up to this point, in Jesus, God, God stamps you loved. Loved. See, we discriminate all the time as human beings. God does not. The first thing we do with a bowl of fruit is get rid of anything that's rotten. The first thing we do with a tin of quality streets to get rid of all the coffee creams is that me, I don't think they even make coffee creams anymore, do they? The first thing we do with it with a tray of little saplings or plants is chuck out the weedy, bruised, broken ones. We discriminate all the time but God does not. And as you look at this definition of love, as you look down the list, you may well be aware this morning of the extent to which you are weedy and bruised and rotten. We discriminate, but God does not. As we open our empty hands to receive his forgiveness, he stamps us with his love. Whoever we are. Love is all-encompassing. Thirdly then, love is everlasting. Love is everlasting. Look at verse 8. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. But we know, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. He's saying, look, gifts are helpful. Gifts are wonderful. Gifts are fantastic. They're used for the common good. We can't manage without the gifts God gives us, which is why we need them. But they're helpful for now. But love remains forever. So live. Live now with the end in view. You see, I assume I'll be out of a job when we get to heaven. They won't need a pastor in heaven. They've got Jesus face to face. But if you learn to love now, you are practicing for eternity. Look at verse 11. When I was a child, I taught like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, this is where it gets harsh. He's saying, basically, stop acting like little children. Corinthians. What is a child's first word? Mine. Mine usually their only word for quite a long time. You can get by quite well with mine. You ever listened to children in the playground? My dad's better than your dad. I'm better than you. My dad's car is better than your dad's car. My Christmas presents were better than your Christmas presents. And that's basically how the Corinthians are living in relation to spiritual gifts. My gifts are better than your gifts. Mine. Paul says, grow up. Grow up. Become an adult. Learn to love. why because this is where it is all heading look at verse 12 now we see only a reflection as in a mirror our mirrors are pretty good i don't think they were particularly brilliant in the first century then we shall see face to face now i know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. In a sense, at the end of all this discussion, what's left on the table, he's saying. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You see, where is all this heading? It's heading to an environment, to a place, to a context, a new heaven and a new earth in which we will be face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ and the God who made us and saved us and is sustaining us and gifting us and empowering us and strengthening us every single step we take right now. Be face-to-face with him. See, we are not designed for this world. The body, the body that we become as the church of God is not for this world. So don't operate like the world. Don't think like the world. 1 John 3 says, When Christ appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. See, Christ is the head. And and we're this body, his body, growing into the likeness of him. And one day we will be with him face to face. And all that will be left is love. This perfect love. God is love. So where do you look for your identity? Is it in your giftedness? Maybe it's in your lack of giftedness. You think, oh, I'm rubbish because I don't do this or that or something else. Paul says, look up. (laughs) Look up and grow up. Maybe you need to feel useful you're one of those kind of people You've got to feel useful and maybe you're feeling pretty useless and you're used to feeling useful circumstances have changed you can't do what you did have you forgotten god's love for you in jesus he says look up grow up maybe you're struggling to love someone with this kind of love have you forgotten God's love to you paul says look up grow up and you live in like this is your home this world not that long ago i was i was worrying I'm prone to worry. Pray for me in that. I went for a long run because that usually helps me. All these worries jangling about inside me. What about this? What about that? All these worries about the future. And uh, on this particular run, I came to the last hill, and it's a big hill, but it is for me. And I was saying to myself, You're nearly there, John. You're nearly there. Keep going. Keep going. You're nearly there. Round the corner. Around the corner, you'll arrive. And I just had this kind of revelation in relation to all of my worries. As though God was saying, You know, John, you know, in this life, you will never arrive, don't you? You know that. This is the race, this is the run, this is the marathon. You know you don't get to arrive here, don't you? And you might think, well, that's obvious, John. But it wasn't obvious to me. Actually, a lot of my worries, a lot of my unanswered questions, a lot of what I was worrying about was what I thought had to happen. What I thought had to happen in order for effectively for me to build heaven here. And it had made me short tempered, it had made me grumpy, and it had made me selfish. And God says, Look up and grow up. Because now I know in part. And then, then we'll know fully. Even as I am fully known in Christ, Jesus, and his love, today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I want to thank you so much that because of the gospel, we are, not, we are not lumbered with an impossible task of seeking to build heaven here. And that that sets us free from building our own little kingdoms, our own little empires, our own little lives to our own glory. Father, I pray that you might lift our eyes to Jesus, that we might see the eternal, everlasting love that is found in him. That it would be enough for us to one day be with him face to face. That it would be enough for us to know, even though we don't know anything really, we are fully known by you. Maybe that some of us here this morning are feeling particularly lonely or isolated or abandoned. I pray they might know even now what it means to be fully known by Jesus. Fill us with your love, we pray, that we might then be instruments of love through the gifts you give us to the glory of God and the good of other people. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.